Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Cozy. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news in the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. Now, in today's show, we're going to talk all about hacks and leaks, but primarily hacks. That's really what's going to that's really what this entire episode is going to be about. Primarily about the Insomniac hack that happened last week, but then late last week there were all these rumblings about. Uh, something happening at Rockstar and Grand Theft Auto. So we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about this conversation that popped up because of what happened last week, which was, you know, how should journalists and media report when a company is hacked? But I actually want to start with a hack that did not work. And that was the third company last week, which was Ubisoft. So a security collective called VX Underground tweeted, quote, December 20th, an unknown threat actor compromised Ubisoft. The individual had access for roughly 48 hours until administration realized something was off and access was revoked. They aimed to exfiltrate roughly 900 gigabytes of data, but lost access. The threat actor would not share how they got initial access. Upon entry, they audited the user's access rights and spent time thoroughly reviewing Microsoft Teams, Confluence, and SharePoint. They attempted to exfiltrate R6 Siege user data, but were unsuccessful. So, so far what we know about this is they were able to walk away with absolutely nothing. And a lot of people are saying online that maybe the most that this person would have, could have done was off-screen stuff, like off-screen screenshots or video or something like that. But apparently they weren't able to actually get away with any data, which is really, really good to hear compared to these other two companies. Now, I want to get into the Insomniac hack a little bit later in the show, even though in terms of timeline, that was the earliest of these events, but I kind of want to work backwards a bit because I want to actually just move on to what's happening at Rockstar. So all of a sudden at last, at some point last week and, and kind of over the weekend, there were all these conversations about Grand Theft Auto V's source code has been exposed and leaked. And it was a little bit tough to get a grasp on exactly what was happening. There were a lot of things going around, a lot of people talking about, you know, files and photographs and information that they were able to sift through, but it was a little bit tough to understand whether or not the actual source code for Grand Theft Auto V was leaked. So I actually want to start off with VX Underground, that same uh, security collected that reported on that Ubisoft hack or failed hack. They also tweeted last week, quote, uh, they claimed that GTA V source code was received by someone August. Actually, this is not a direct quote. Some of it is my words. GTA V source code was received by someone August 2023. And apparently their motivation behind releasing it was to release a clean version free from malware, which was continuously popping up. So it would seem that a lot of this is connected to the GTA 6 hack that happened last year, I believe it was. And interestingly enough, that kid that caused that hack last year was sentenced last week. And his sentence was an indefinite hospital order by a British judge. I, I believe I, I got this from VGC. And there were some places that were reporting that he was 
given life in prison, which is not true, or life in a hospital prison, not true. <laughs> Those were uh, misreported. A an indefinite stay in a hospital is very different to uh, a, a life sentence. An indefinite hospital order means technically this kid could be released in two weeks, two months, two years. We really don't know. Now I'm going to go through a, a couple of these details. His name was Arian or is Arian Kurtage. He suffers from acute autism and he was convicted of being a member of the international hacking group Lapsus, which also carried out attacks on tech companies, including Uber, Nvidia, and a company called EE. I think that's a, a, a European company. He was found guilty of serious computer misuse, blackmail, and fraud following a seven-week criminal trial. Judge Patricia Lees said Kurtage remained fixated with hacking and posed a high risk of serious harm to the public through skill in gaining unfettered access to computers. So basically during his trial and sentencing, he was basically saying, yep, if you let me out, I'm absolutely going to do this again. <laughs> so uh, that's that probably was definitely one of the reasons why uh, he was ordered an indefinite hospital stay until he is deemed fit and safe um, and doesn't pose a danger to others that at that point is when he will be released during the trial it was also noted that Kurtaj had proven violent and destructive to property while in custody he'll stay at a secure hospital facility until such time that a mental health tribunal decides he no longer poses a danger to others so that's really the meaning of an indefinite hospital stay now during this hack i remember there were conversations coming directly from this kid that he also had access to grand theft auto 5's source code and he he was putting it up for sale nothing really came of that so a lot of people felt that okay maybe it was a bluff maybe he didn't really actually have uh, access to the source code now i can't i couldn't find a direct answer to this but it would seem that this was the source of the source code like he was the person that was able to get away with that source code but never actually publicly released it i can't say that with a hundred percent certainty though all that matters is that apparently this data is now out there and what's happening right now everything is sort of moving a bit quickly i can't really get a good grasp on exactly what the state of this is I'm getting some of my information from a Twitter account called GTA Focal, which seems to be a credible account, but I can't say that with a thousand percent certainty. Uh, they're making these claims that there is now a 200 gigabyte file that is floating around. And that 200 gigabyte file includes assets, 3D models, and apparently the source um, data for uh, Grand Theft Auto, the source code for Grand Theft Auto 5. And apparently Take-Two is playing a bit of whack-a-mole, a bit of whack-a-mole and continues to issue DMCAs to try to take down those download links. Uh, and then, you know, there was a bunch of information that came out about this, uh, people sifting through that early bit of code that was released. Uh, apparently there were some... Uh, sort of alluding to some canceled single-player DLCs uh, by name about like eight or nine different packages, which to me isn't really news because we knew that already, that there was single-player uh, DLC planned 
for Grand Theft Auto. This is the most detailed we've ever gotten because all Rockstar said when it came to single player DLC for Grand Theft Auto V was that it was on the way. It was something that they sort of planted that flag in the ground that it was part of their plans. And then obviously they just never really went into it. Apparently part of that reason was a disagree an internal disagreement um, in part by Leslie Benzies, who left to start his own company. He's working on that game called Everywhere, where apparently he wanted to go in the direction of doing more online stuff, where a lot of the other leaders at Rockstar wanted to focus more on single player. And apparently that rift led to a bit of a focus happening with Grand Theft Auto Online. And then on top of that was this desire to to, to fully move over to Red Dead Redemption 2. So all of these things together led to that single player DLC just kind of not happening. Now, some of the names of those packs were uh, released and, you know, one of them alluding to something uh, for Liberty City, which as we know, the last time we saw that was in Grand Theft Auto 4. But it's, it's kind of one of those things where right now everyone's just sort of trying to fill in the blanks and I think that this is one of the problems with these types of hacks or hacks in general is that without context, people try to add their own context to it. And they look at a lot of these things and a lot of these names and they sort of go like, yep, that's exactly what this is. So if something goes a file that was called MC6, I believe, I think it was, or MC5 or something like that. And people are like, oh, that, that, that that's probably something alluding to a Midnight Club 5, for example. Or there was um, some files pointing to something called GTA Tokyo, for example. But the way that I look at it is that, you know, from my experience, there's a lot of things that are named internally one way, but that doesn't really mean that that's the actual name of whatever was being built. So GTA Tokyo could have just been a code name for something in GTA Online, for example. I don't, you know, it doesn't, unless we hear from someone expressly from, you know, Rockstar, or we have some actual files that leak like, you know, logos or actual maps or buildings or work uh, where we can clearly see Tokyo being built in video game form. It doesn't really expressly mean that there was ever a version of GTA Tokyo. And then there are also files that talk and allude to Bully 2, which is not news. That's been a very strong rumor for a while that there was work being done on Bully 2 that was canceled. And at this point in time, I kind of just don't personally see a bully two happening uh, at this point. Uh, obviously we don't know, but you know, Rockstar is, is really fully uh, into uh, Grand Theft Auto six at this, at this point. So at this moment in time, it's a little bit hard to tell how widespread this is. And I feel like I can't get a, like a very clear picture, a grasp on is this 200 gigabyte, gigabyte file exactly what we think it is, which is the entire source code for Grand Theft Auto V along with assets and 3D models. That's what's being reported right now, but I feel like we don't have 100% confirmation on that's exactly what is happening right now. You know, overall, this is... I would I would consider this a disaster. This is nothing short of a disaster. I feel like there's it's a little bit tough. Some people are trying to downplay it. Other people are like this is the this is the end. Some people are going a little bit too far. There's there's some people that 
are online saying, do not play GTA online right now. I don't think we're really at that point. You know, like, I don't think that if, you know, source code leaks, this doesn't mean that sort of immediately that means that very malicious things are going to be happening on GTA online instantly. I don't really think that that's what we're seeing right now. I think that, you know, there is, we, we kind of are in that wait and see moment right now of, of what everything's happening because news is starting to move so fast. You know, a lot of people are finding, you know, a lot of things about Grand Theft Auto five right now that weren't ever meant to be public. Some alternate endings have been, have been leaking some concept art that I won't even go deep into. If you want to go find that stuff yourself, you're more than welcome to, I don't really see the reason to really talk about that stuff. Um, yeah, overall, it's kind of weird because it's almost like imagine if you had a restaurant and you had just the perfect croissants. Somehow you were able to create these croissants that no one else could figure out how you made it. And you have the recipe written down, but not only do you have the recipe, but you have uh, not just the ingredients, but the entire recipe top to bottom, you know, and how long the dough needs to rest, how long it needs to be in the oven, you know, and, and of course everything's measured out. Uh, and anyone who visits your restaurant and tries their croissant knows that this is the only place I can get this particular croissant. Imagine that recipe being leaked. And now anyone, uh, everyone has the steps on how you made that croissant. It could be a disaster, right? That's sort of what's happening right now with Grand Theft Auto V. A source code is almost like the recipe for, for the game. It is what the game is built out of and made out of. And it's something that, especially when it comes to Grand Theft Auto Online, which is sort of attached to Grand Theft Auto V, uh, it is something that Rockstar and their development and coding team have been working on for the better part of a decade. And this is detrimental for a few reasons. Number one is uh, obviously with GTA Online, when you have apparently GTA online, especially on PC, hasn't been the safest online experience. Rockstar has apparently gotten better over the years when it comes to that. But now there is a possibility of that getting worse because when you have access to a source code, it becomes a lot easier for people to find exploits within that code and vulnerabilities within that code. But it's also one of those things where now you have uh, smaller teams, especially international teams in places like China, Russia, India, that can get their hands on the source code and sort of now have the secret sauce of how Rockstar is able to create the type of games that they create. You know, when you look at a lot of uh, Rockstar games, especially I think when you look at something like Red Dead Redemption 2, uh, and, and to an extent Grand Theft Auto V, there are, there are a lot of techniques and things that they do on there where I'm sure there are a lot of developers and, 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 and artists and coders that look at that and go like, I don't know how they did that, but that's amazing, right? It's proprietary data that is worth millions and millions of dollars, right? Like I said, it's, it's like the secret sauce and now everybody has it. It's a little bit tough right now to find out how this will affect Grand Theft Auto 6. I... At this early moment, I would say I don't see this really affecting Grand Theft Auto 6 too much. But it's it's kind of one of those things where technically someone can try to get a version of this game running on like a different console, on Nintendo Switch. Uh, it 
it's a whole new layer to uh, modifications and mods happening at at, uh, at Grand Theft Auto. It's 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 really really crazy. It it it's kind of one of those things that I do look at it as extremely detrimental. Even if they are at this moment where they're about to move over to a new generation, move over to Grand Theft Auto Six. Uh, it, it still isn't the best thing in the world for you to have, once again, your recipe out there for anyone and everyone to read. And I want to take this moment out before I move over to the Insomniac hack to talk about something that came out as a result of the Insomniac hack, which happened in, in the timeline of everything I've talked about so far. It was the Insomniac hack, the... Uh, the failed Ubisoft hack attempt, and then over the weekend, all this conversation about Grand Theft Auto's source code. And like I said, and, and some of these other things that have been discovered uh, from it, you know, Bully 2, uh, GTA Tokyo, apparently people have been finding uh, maps and some work, some prelim- preliminary work that was done on Agent, if anyone remembers that uh, PlayStation 3 exclusive that just, we only got a logo for, we never really supposed to be like some sort of spy thriller from, from rockstar, which everyone, including myself was very, very excited for. And unfortunately never saw the light of day. Now, one part of this conversation that came out or started bubbling to the top as a result of the insomniac hack is how should journalists and media sort of deal with this hack and Very quickly, what started happening was that the hack was released. All these details started leaking out. A lot of it was sort of, uh, I'm I'm on Eastern Coast time because I live in New York. A lot of it was happening sort of very, very late at night. And by the time the morning came, a lot of, you know, pretty big pieces of information started to rise to the top. Not just uh, footage, but a lot of talks about insomniacs internal future projects and very quickly two sides started forming in traditional media what i would consider websites kotaku vgc or video games chronicle polygon gamespot these types of things where it seems like they were kind of split down the middle you had gamespot and vgc that were reporting on the hack so they put up articles or actually i can't say that for GameSpot, but I can definitely speak on behalf of VGC. They put up an article detailing the ransomware hack, talking about the group that was behind it, how many files they made away with, uh, you know, and, and sort of giving generic details on what was contained in there. But then their editor-in-chief, Andy Robinson, tweeted, and he said, we will not be discussing details about this hack. Uh an employee for GameSpot, I'm not sure what his position is. I, I believe he's one of the editors. His, his name was Tamor. He tweeted that at GameSpot, they will also not be covering details. Other websites went in a different direction. Kotaku, IGN, and Polygon immediately started publishing details. And they started talking about the, the most important part of this, or not important, but one of the biggest key pieces of information or details that came out as a result of this hack. And my immediate response to it was to side with GameSpot and VGC. And I have sent tweets 
and I think I had retweeted IGN's article and I sort of said, you know, this doesn't, this just doesn't feel right. And I think part of my reason for that was a few things. Number one was the fact that from what we were aware of for this hack, there was personal employment information involved, like very sensitive information. You know, the, 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 the rockstar hack, part of that hack that happened over the weekend and the information that came as a result of it was employees emails. But I guess the silver lining of that was it was their employment emails. It wasn't, it wasn't personal emails. When it came to the Insomniac hack, though, it was very personal, sensitive information. There were scans of passports. Apparently, there were I-9 forms in there. So we're talking about personal information in terms of names, addresses, credit card information. You know, apparently, the team at Insomniac, and remember, this happened before Christmas, couldn't really relax and enjoy their Christmas break because Insomniac, just like a lot of companies, they give their teams a, usually like a two-week break at the end of, of the year. They obviously couldn't enjoy that to the fullest because they had to ensure that you know they were freezing their accounts. Apparently, according to Jason Schreier, uh, Sony gave them access to a tool that helps and assists in, in that. I don't remember the name of the tool. I don't have the article right in front of me. So with that being said, I did my knee jerk reaction or my first reaction was this isn't right because there's a lot of personal information involved in here. Maybe this isn't something that we should really be discussing these details. The other reason why I think that was my initial reaction was it was almost like my, my publisher brain, right? When you looked at the people that were on the other side of this, which was, hey, you know what? We really shouldn't be talking about uh, uh, the details. We should be a little more respectful. There was personal data involved in here. A lot of those people were developers. Those were the loudest voices. Like I, there's a uh, um, an artist that I, I follow. His name is Del Walker, and he's worked on a lot of games. Most recently, I think, Suicide Squad Killed the Justice League. Uh, worked on WB and, and just kind of a lot of other games here and there. And he was very vocal, like he was tweeting, you know, the the writer of the IGN article, who I believe his name is Wesley Poole or Yin Poole, something like that. Sorry if I got that wrong. To the point where Wesley just had to private his Twitter account because I guess he was getting a flood of messages for people visiting his Twitter account as a result of it. So a lot of developers came together and they're like, yes, this isn't right. It's not right that you guys should be, um, you know, putting this out there. And what I did was that I sat down and I thought about this because I, I realized that I, I've been in those shoes. I know what it feels like to be on the developer slash publisher side of a leak. I've never been on the side of a hack, I would say, but I don't this is public information. I, I don't keep this a secret that I used to work for Nintendo. And during that time, I saw firsthand, not only just my own personal feelings of, 
you know, uh, being part of the 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 uh, the mark the final marketing push of a game about to be announced, and or just watching other people as part of the marketing team more so than the development team because that usually a lot of that happens in Japan. So for me, it was more access to a lot of the marketing team and seeing their reaction to something leaking. It 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 sucks. It it just it really 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 hurts because. It's one of those things where it's like, yes, it's not personal information that's being hacked or leaked, but when a leak happens and you work so hard to control that information, you know, you become attached to these products that you're working on sometimes for years and you work so hard to, you know, make sure that you are putting out the message for that game the way that it's supposed to be put out. Because if when a leak happens, what what's the, the first thing that starts to bubble to the top is that since there is no context given from the people involved in the creation of that product, people start adding and creating their own context. Like I said earlier with this talk about a GTA Tokyo, for example, right? Uh, I remember it happened when I think it was Super Mario Maker, which leaked that someone was able to get a photograph off during a booth setup, I think it was. I, I believe it was at one of the E3s where someone was able to take a photo of a Super Mario Maker logo and that that leaked out. And it just, it really, really sucks because you know what the game is, you know the key points of it, you know the way that the game is supposed to be discussed and digested and all that has been worked on so meticulously to make sure that the, the right messaging is put out there. And once that logo goes out, now all you have is fans and, and journalists and media working together to sort of almost want, wanting to give context to that logo and breaking it down. And what, what does this mean? And that means, and what could this be? And it is just a really unfortunate process. I can't imagine how much worse it is when it happens as a result of a hack and then information is taken by force and it isn't any sort of mistake or lapse in judgment or security or uh, an internal employee that sort of let this thing go. And it, it gets even worse when also your personal sensitive information is tied into everything, uh, you know, tied into all that information. So, What happened was that after some time, giving it some thought, I put out a YouTube video and I think part of me started to look at this from the perspective of a journalist. And I think that what I walked away from when it came to this conversation about the ethics of journalism and how we should handle hacks and leaks is that we were almost having two separate conversations as a community. I think, and and I think people were mixing those two conversations. We were mixing ethics with professionalism. And in my opinion, those are two separate conversations to have. And there were parts of this that I think that we all need to fundamentally agree with, which is that it is not unethical for a journalist or a media website like IGN or Kotaku or their newsrooms to run an article discussing the details of a hack. That is something that we need to agree on is not unethical. Now, 
you can make a personal decision and a personal call and say that this is unprofessional or you don't like the way that they handled it. I think that that's a separate conversation to have. And the reason why it's important for us to be able to make that distinction is that that is not what you want from what we would consider, especially speaking for the United States of America, a free press. If you want a free press, then you do not want to hear about, you do not want to hear that a writer or an editor held back on an article because they were concerned about how would it affect the company that it was being written about. When you become a journalist, a reporter, or even a content creator, it's very important that there is a line and that it's, it's very important that you make that distinction that you are not a mouthpiece or representative for PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo, Ubisoft, what have you, any, any of these. When your main objective is really to serve your audience and part of serving your audience is that there are going to be moments that you have to talk about things that are not going to paint this company in the most positive light. And when it came to this hack, the unfortunate reality of it was that the hack was extremely public. It was not very hard to find a lot of this information. It's not very hard to find a lot of these video clips of gameplay for Wolverine, for example, are still very much up. All you have to do is go on even like Twitter and, and do a very basic search that I'm sure a, a, an eight-year-old could do. And, and you can see a lot of that early footage. By not talking about it, it's almost like you are selectively choosing to ignore it. And then the question has to, has to start with, why are you doing this? And I think that's why we have to have two separate conversations, which is that we must all agree that this does not fall, that this, this does squarely fall under the ethics of journalism. Now, what is unethical? Unethical would definitely be posting personal employment details because those do not serve the purpose of the story. They absolutely 1000% put those employees at danger or being uh, harassed, especially, uh, you know, we all know that is a big part of our industry. That's one of the, the black eyes. And it, it also like, once again, it doesn't serve the story. It's the same as if you are a journalist and you're writing a, an investigative piece, part of that investigative piece might be that you are gaining information under the guise of anonymity that, em, that employee, whether former or current is talking to you about this story under the condition of anonymity. And part of your journalistic ethics is to do everything possible to keep that person's name anonymous, to protect them. That is ethical journalism. The decision about whether or not to dive into details does not fall under the ethics of journalism and actually falls under something else, which as I talked about is the professional route. For me personally, I thought about this and I thought about, well, how would I, how am I going to talk about this on the podcast? And look, my audience is 
very small. I really appreciate every single person who listens to this, but I can't sit here and try to talk about this like thousands and thousands of people are listening to my voice right now. I know that that's not what's happening. But at the end of the day, every time I put out a video or I put out a podcast, I want to ensure that when I do it, I do it in a state of mind that I would make the same decisions whether I had one viewer or one million viewers. It's no different. And when it came to thinking about, okay, how am I going to talk about this? That is where the professional part of it comes because this isn't, I guess it's a very strong opinion, I guess you could say from my part, but I feel that I am more than capable of being able to divulge disseminate this information that came out selectively, I guess, discuss it and do it all in an an extremely respectful manner, respectful to those employees. Because at the end of the day, this really sucks. Even if obviously I'm not going to sit here and, and talk about anyone's personal information, that's obviously not going to happen. That's not really at the center of this conversation. But I can, and I'm more than capable of understanding what's what's valuable information, what I believe is something that I can add context to, or I believe is worthy of a discussion, while also remaining respectful to that original team. And that, I feel, was at the core of the conversations that a lot of people were having last week. You know, one of the big things that came out of it was the way that uh, kind of funny handled it. Kind of funny are these, um, you know, content creators. They have a live YouTube show, a daily show, and they are definitely one of the, the, the bigger YouTube gaming commentating channels, I guess you could say. And they came out very strongly and they said, we're not going to talk about this leak. And instead they decided to dedicate their first episode to talking about the human element of a hack. And a lot of people gave them a lot of shit for it. I actually commend them because I think that, you know, the way that Greg discussed this, he discussed it very well in the show. He went through the ethics of journalism He went through a lot of the professionalism and things like that. I think they did a pretty good job of helping, giving that context and helping people understand, uh, you know, how to, how media should or could handle a lot of these hacks. But I think one of the issues that came about with them is that they failed to disclose why they handled this situation differently than they handled it in 2020. Now, this is something a lot of people brought up, but in 2020, Capcom was hacked and a lot of unannounced information was 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 uh, part of the information that was leaked out as a result of that hack. But also in that hack, there were apparently personal employment, there was personal employment information. Now, I personally looked through my show notes and I couldn't find a note for this hack. Maybe I didn't dig dig deep enough and maybe I spoke about it at a different point in time. I I looked around the dates for when this hack happened and I couldn't find out exactly how I handled it. I know for a fact either one of two things happened for me personally. Either I just didn't talk about this at all or I did talk about it, but I don't personally know if I brought up 
employees getting their information leaked. I just honestly don't remember it, to be honest with you. And I think this is one of those things where I went back and I watched that kind of funny video and they did not acknowledge the human element at all. They just started talking about the leaks and the hacks. And I, I think the only thing I wish that kind of funny did was that at this moment, they should have talked about for posterity's sake, they should have said, this is what we did in 2020. This is why it's different now. Because that was three years apart. That's more than enough time to grow. And there's more than enough time to look back and say, hey, you know what? We did handle that poorly. But I feel like that's something that I would have liked to see them publicly put out there and, and, and take that step forward and, and, and say like, yeah, you know, we did do that. But kind of instead, they sort of kind of a bit danced around it. The other problem with what happened at Kind of Funny was that their line with Insomniac is very thin. So when it comes to content creators, journalists, reporters, I personally would look at myself as a journalistic content creator because a lot of the stuff that I put out on my podcast, it is more reporting, right? I'm just taking articles that were already written and I'm giving my opinion on it uh, or, or just opinion on generic news is happening. When it comes to the YouTube channel though, I do a lot more journalistic, there's a lot more journalism and investigative portions of that. When I'm talking about something, I'm doing hours and hours and hours of digging and research in order to create the story and the video that I'm putting out there to, to put together those 15 minutes or what have you of something that I'm talking about. And I think that for a lot of channels, more so the bigger channels than smaller channels like myself, you have a line that exists between you and the other side of that line is developers and publishers. And there are two things you don't want to do. Number one is you don't want that line to get too thick. If it gets too thick, that means that you are losing access to developers and publishers. You are not getting early review codes. You are not getting invited to preview events. That means that you do not have the tools to serve your audience, right? While other, you know, uh, websites and content creators are able to have videos and write-ups and doing previews for the avatar game that comes out in four weeks or whatever, you don't have access to Ubisoft. So now you're not able to, you know, serve your audience equally the same way as other uh, developers and publishers. So it's important to make sure that that line doesn't get too thick. The unfortunate reality of what happened to kind of funny was that their line with insomniac got very, very thin. And it's something that I feel like they sort of danced around a bit because for all intents and purposes, kind of funny is inside of Spider-Man two. Technically, Greg is a part of both of those games. He has this character that he created, the shirtless Spider-Man, and they added him in the first game as an Easter egg. And then they did it again in the second game where there's a, an Easter egg in one of the side missions, which is one that you have to go around and take photos. And one of the photos is a shirtless white male, a shirtless black male with just Spider-Man masks on, and they're taking photos. And when you snap that photo, the name of that photo is called Kind of Fanboys. So it's an obvious Easter egg to Kind of Funny. 
to Greg and Blessing, which were the two guys that did that first episode talking about the Insomniac hack. That's kind of one of those things where I can only speak for myself, but as a content creator, even if you're creating things for the purpose of entertainment and you're not calling yourself an investigative journalist on the level of Jason Schreier, for example, uh, maybe you're saying like, yeah, the things I create are for entertainment purposes only. It's only mildly educational. I feel like that's something that you have to be very transparent and disclose because for me personally speaking, if, if I was in their position, it's almost one of those things where I feel like I have to almost excuse myself from the conversation because we've all played video games long enough where I can't even imagine the elation and joy that comes from, you know, one of your favorite developers forever enshrining you in a video game. Like, yeah, you're not there by specific name, but this is something that 20 years from now, Greg and you know, your blessing can, can tell their kids and say, Hey, did you know I was actually in video games, Spider-Man too? And, tell their kids about this photo side mission and, and, and where they can find them and stuff like that. Like that's a huge, huge deal. That's something that will always endear you to a developer. And that's kind of one of those things where you allow the line to get too thin to the point where I feel like that, that has to be one of the reasons why they're like, yeah, maybe we really shouldn't talk about the details of this hack. That really shows that you do have a, pretty healthy relationship with the developers of that game. That's why it's important to make sure that, that line doesn't get too thin, where it becomes imperative, where if you have relationships with developers and publishers, it's almost like you, you're, it has to be one of those situations where you have to remind them like, this is my job. This is what I do. This is not personal. This is just business. We have to discuss this. And I think the other piece of this that I want to talk about is this distinction between hacks and leaks. And the fact that a lot of people are saying, well, the reason why people shouldn't talk about the details of this one particularly is because there's personal information attached to it. Now, the most direct comparison that we can make is how the majority of these websites handle the Capcom hack in 2020 with pretty much the majority of them not giving a fuck. They just went ahead and reported everything. They there really wasn't the same sort of respect given to Insomniac. It wasn't the same for Capcom where they were like, look, there were a lot of details put out, but since there were personal details, we didn't discuss it. Now, we could say that in that three-year window, a lot of these people decided, a lot of these media outlets and newsrooms, number one, it could be very different people running those newsrooms. You have to keep that in mind. But even if it was the same exact newsroom, it's also something where where they're saying internally like, look, that we didn't handle it well, we're gonna handle it differently now. And they really can't be judged until the next time this happens. My personal problem with this is that that same respect isn't given to leaks. And let's be honest, in my opinion, leaks have almost the same amount of human damage, I guess like emotional mental damage that a hack does because you are still and and some parts of it can actually be a little bit worse actually and i'll explain why a lot of these leaks that happen they happen because an employee internally decided to talk 
that's how a lot of journalists, like someone like a Jeff Grubb, gets their information. A lot of it is just through various events, they've become friends with people within these companies. And under the condition of anonymity, that person within that company just tells them, yeah, you know, a Blade actually, we're, we're targeting a 2027 release, right? Which is something that Jeff Grubb revealed last week that he's heard that this game is coming out in 2027. And there are other parts that are a little bit like even more in depth. You know, someone like a Jason Schreier, for example, he knew the code name for Grand Theft Auto 6, Project Americas, years ago. He knew that it was a Bonnie and Clyde style game years ago. These are This is information that we had confirmed when those leaks initially happened about Jason and Lucia. Sometimes I look at, or not even sometimes, but in a lot of those cases, I look at that as arguably a bigger betrayal than a hack happening because a hack is someone on the outside that doesn't know anything about the company. But this is like the call is coming from inside the house. You know that someone within your team, especially if it's a small team, um, someone within that team talked and they turned their back and they betrayed every other employee internally uh, at that company. And sometimes it can happen by mistake, right? The Xbox leak, for example, we knew that that was a mistake. An employee sent the PDF to the FTC that publicized it uh, as they should have, but they left some slides attached to that PDF that were not supposed to be attached there. I guarantee you that person was fired within the week. There's no way that person kept their job. Uh, even if it was a mistake, it's a mistake you allowed to happen. I doubt that that person has their job anymore. But that's kind of one of my big issues with this whole journalist trying to take this high ground and 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 say, well, we're not we're not we're not going to do that. We're 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 not we're not going to stoop that low as to talk about these details because they have zero problem doing that when there's a leak. And the thing about it is, once again, the majority of leaks that we get within the industry is because an employee spoke out. It wasn't because someone hacked in and and just took one piece of information, like they hacked in, they're like, oh, I, I know what's gonna be in the Direct and Nintendo Direct in a few days. No, it's some Nintendo employee somewhere along that chain, development, uh, publishing, marketing, licensing, video production, somewhere along that line, someone just wanted to be cool for a few seconds, maybe having a drink at a bar or having a phone call, and they decided to tell someone, yeah, we're going to announce Super Mario RPG remake at the Nintendo Direct, right? That to me is also a betrayal. But the media that is now on this high horse, all of a sudden they have absolutely no problem with talking about that leak. To me, that's a problem. And for me, I'd rather have consistency. Like just be consistent with the way that you decide to report this. Because to, in my opinion, it's either all or none. You're either going to come forward and say, we are not ever going to discuss leaks or hacks ever again. Uh, or you decide that you're just going to go ahead and everything is, is open to you as it is ethically. All of this information is open for you to discuss because it has become public information. It's not like, you know, IGN, you know, paid these insomniac ransomware group $10,000 to have exclusive access to that information. That would be unethical, right? We're talking about stuff that is completely, completely public. But for me, it's like, if you have no problem 
with that Xbox, talking about that Xbox leak, even if it was a mistake, you still had no problem sitting down, uh, divulging private information that a bunch of hardworking employees did their best to work for privately, internally, and you had no problem with talking about the next five years of Xbox, right? Even if the, the information was outdated, which I said that a lot of it is probably outdated when I discussed it, then you shouldn't really have much of an issue talking about this, especially because we're obviously not going to be divulging personal information when it comes to this, right? So let's go, let's actually kick in to the Insomniac hack itself. So apparently there were over 1.3 million files the group called themselves Ricita. They proceeded to blackmail Sony and offered the data through auction with a starting price of 50 Bitcoins, which is about $2 million. About 98% of stolen data has allegedly been released with Ricita stating that quote, not sold data was uploaded, implying that the remaining 2% may have been sold to someone. So of course we don't know what that 2% is. My guess it unfortunately was probably personal information, maybe credit card information for employees throughout the company, which is awful. Um, three days later, Insomniac responded with a statement that says, in part, quote, thank you for the outpouring of compassion and unwavering support. It's deeply appreciated. We're both saddened and angered about the recent criminal cyber attack on our studio and the emotional toll is taken on our dev team. We have focused inwardly for the last several days to support each other. We are aware that the stolen data includes personal information belonging to our employees former employees and independent contractors. They ended it by confirming that work on Wolverine will continue as planned. So first of all, it's once again, very important to acknowledge that this really, really sucks. And this is one of those situations where I'm going to echo this once again, the professionalism kicks in. Right, anyone that's really just sharing this stuff, just retweeting videos, not really adding to the conversation, uh, retweeting and discussing plot details that you know th there really isn't much context to be added to it. There's no reason to really be discussing it. It's obviously the bottom of the barrel. Actually, the bottom of the barrel would be people that are running the early build of Wolverine. So an early build was part of this uh, part of this hack. And people have been able to get this game running on PC. Apparently, uh, people have been also able to get it running on development mode on Xbox Series X's, for example, on, uh, is another example. That to me is, that's like the bottom of the barrel. You are a grade A piece of shit if you do that, uh, because it's just so wrong. It's wrong to do that. Like this is obviously not final work. It was never be meant, to, it was never meant to be experienced this way. You're just, for me, you're an awful human being. So of course we have to acknowledge that this was a really, really shitty thing uh, to do. It was a violation of privacy. Every single Insomniac employee has the right to feel violated, even if their personal data was not part of it. It's still something that you worked on with the state of mind that no one is really meant to see this, right? So no one is really seeing your work at its best. They are seeing it arguably at its worst because it's the very, beginning of, uh, the cycle. So I don't, I don't want to discuss anything regarding that Wolverine game. There's really not much context to add anything and everything you see, whether it be plot details, whether it be characters, 
voice the voice actor list, which was also part of the hack, and and the information that that leaked out. All of that is subject to change. Discussing what we saw from the game itself, there's really not much context to add to it because once again, it's very early. Um, there is a part of me that I will, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I do, I hate to say this because I, I, I don't want to, I don't want it to sound like I'm happy that this happened, but there is a part of me that I do kind of enjoy that peek behind the curtain of how these games are built and exactly how this stuff works because I'm one of those people that will probably go my entire life without ever actually getting a peek behind this curtain. So it is kind of cool to see the process of how environments are built and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, there's really no reason to talk about the exact Wolverine details. Now there are parts of this leak that I do wish to discuss. So if you, for whatever reason, want to avoid absolutely anything about Insomniac's future, because that's really part of this discussion. I'm not going to talk about Wolverine itself. There's no need to spoil anything about that game. That I just feel like that that's once again just unprofessional and I feel like it's bottom of the barrel. There's not really much context or value to discussing something like that. But I did want to talk about this future Marvel deal that was kind of one of those top of the line things that rose to the forefront, which was this conversation about Sony planning an X-Men future with Marvel. So Sony was able to ink, I guess, a deal with Marvel where Insomniac is now going to work on three games based on the X-Men outside of Wolverine. So four X-Men games in total. Now we don't know exactly what these X-Men games are. It could just be something focused on a different character like you know cyclops or whatever getting his own game uh i don't know that's just me guessing that's not really relative to anything that leaked it's just a, a total guess in my mind and this was a really big deal for for kind of a few reasons number one was that the preliminary pre, the preliminary deal or preliminary plan pc is a part of it uh, that was number one. Number two is that multiplayer was a part of this. Apparently a multiplayer component being added to Wolverine and then multiplayer for some of the X-Men games. I think a lot of us could probably draw the line from A to B and and, and guess that some of it might be uh, multiplayer. Maybe we might get uh, something as close to Ultimate Alliance as we can because that game was so awesome when you played with other players. This to me was one of the more interesting parts of it. And this was something I, I do feel like is valuable to discuss because this basically would lock Insomniac into Marvel games for a decade uh, or kind of the better part of a decade. If you also roll in Spider-Man 1, 2, and Miles Morales. Outside of that, that would mean for a pocket of about 15 years or so, there's been only one non-Marvel game created by Insomniac, which is Ratchet and Clank. Now, this is obviously a very interesting direction to take Insomniac for a few reasons. Number one, this is probably one of the most creative companies that we've seen in our industry, whether it was Sunset Over Overdrive, Ratchet and Clank, all the way back to Spyro, that first-person shooter Resistance, if anyone remembers that from the PlayStation 3 era. There's something almost like sad about seeing them sort of pigeonholed into making just Marvel games. 
But then when you look at the numbers, and that was another part of the discussion, was how much money PlayStation was able to walk away from when making Spider-Man. And the fact that this is a very lucrative deal. Even with Marvel's amazing royalties that they have attached to this, which is a crazy amount. They get a percentage of every game sold, even a percentage of bundles. That was also part of the deal that we saw. It would seem that this is still a very, very lucrative deal for PlayStation, even with another intellectual property attached to it. Ratchet and Clank uh, Rift Apart that was released on PlayStation 5 and PC that actually did really well, but definitely nowhere near as well as it did for uh, Spider-Man. Another part of this leak was that development cost, Spider-Man 2's development cost exceeded $300 million and its break-even was 7.2 million copies. So they would have to sell 7.2 million copies to basically recoup their costs and then from there it's just gravy. And obviously that one, that includes development costs. I'm certain that also includes marketing. And then that also calculates the royalty that they have to pay for Marvel for actually licensing this intellectual property. By comparison, Miles Morales was actually arguably more profitable because it only costs $90 million to make, which is probably another reason why we're going to get another in-between game between uh, Spider-Man 2 and 3 which is apparently a Venom game is also going to be a part of that. Uh, that's supposed to be releasing at some point um, in between parts two and uh, three. Now there was another slide alluding to a Spider-Man three plan. Apparently this proposal for Spider-Man three to be split into separate parts uh, from one year apart that the game will be released in two pieces. Uh, Holiday 2027 would be one part at 50 bucks, another part at $50 the following year. And then a third piece of it would be a separate multiplayer mode. That's not something I'm going to dive into because those look like plans that would absolutely change. And I think that's another part of this leak that people have to be careful about is once again, discussing things without context. You have to keep in mind that a lot of the stuff that you saw was never supposed to be seen. And because of that, that means that a lot of this stuff could uh, could have changed. Even that X-Men proposal could have just been a proposal. It doesn't mean that this has already been signed in ink and this is 100% going to happen. But this does lock, if it does happen, this does lock Insomniac into Marvel for the better part of the next decade. It also, one other part of that proposal was that all of X-Men is now exclusive to PlayStation outside of apparently like kids titles and re-releases of older games. Uh, you can't put the, the X-Men anywhere else until this deal ends at some point within the next decade. So if another game were to come out, so perfect example would be Marvel's Blade. Actually, that's a good example. So uh, Microsoft announced Marvel's Blade if this deal with Marvel is real and true in terms of this PlayStation signing this deal, Arcane Lion can't go, Leon uh, can't go to Marvel and say, hey, we want to do some DLC where inside of the Blade universe, we're adding 
sinister or something like that or i don't even know what character would even make sense or we would love to have an appearance of a beast in in our blade universe or something i don't know they can't do that because part of this deal is that they can't use i want to say any of the x-men i think there was a, a specific list but they can't do that like they can't use the x-men to help a competitor sell one of their games uh, across the board, which is obviously another thing that makes us really, really interesting. Yeah, I think I think overall the most interesting aspects that came out of this was definitely that purported X Men future, which once again, okay, I have to say this like thirty times, none of this is finalized. For the love of God, if you never ever hear about an X Men game from Insomniac for the next few years. Um, it probably means that plans change. This happens a lot. And I think this is one of the most damaging parts of hacks and leaks is, and I think this is another reason why it's important to discuss these details because it is important for, you know, content creators like myself to add that context and tell people like, even if these slides are done and they're discussed and they're talked about, it doesn't mean that any of this is going to happen. There were a lot of slides alluding to a Spider-Man multiplayer game. Jason Schreier wrote an article. He confirmed that that was canceled. It is possible that version was canceled and another version is, you know, popped up out of it. It's possible that it was completely canceled. I think right now we are seeing internally at PlayStation, this, this hack and what the information that we got out of it is further proof that at some point within the last three to four years, PlayStation internally went to their studios and said, use what you have and come back to me with an idea of something multiplayer, something live service. And there were some slides that were alluding to Spider-Man and a battle pass and things like that. Um, And we kind of saw an inkling of that with Naughty Dog and their cancellation of The Last, Last of Us. So it is possible that PlayStation decided to reverse course and is doing what I, in my opinion, is the smart way to approach this is kind of saying, yeah, we can't sacrifice our single player teams and kind of do this. I do think that there is a desire internally in Insomniac to do something multiplayer, but I think that they have to approach it the correct way. And I don't think that taking that existing intellectual property and just sort of blindly going into live service is really the way to do it. And I would think that Marvel probably agrees. Marvel's Avengers was definitely not a good look for Marvel. And I'm pretty sure that's something that they would want to avoid. Another part of this, another unfortunate thing about this is that there was a slide that implied that a Sony studio uh, was in danger of closing and apparently there was pressure put on Insomniac to cut jobs. I think the number given was like 50 to 75. Once again, this doesn't mean that this is going to happen. Plans change, anything can change. It reminds me a little bit of like the Xbox leak that there was a slide that I found really ridiculous that talked about Xbox going all digital in the middle of this cycle. That's kind of one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was a plan that was put forth, but I just don't think that that plan, you know, succeeded just because those slides were made by someone does not expressly mean 
that that is gospel now and that's actually going to happen. Um, and, and this is why I do find these discussions valuable, right? That's why I find it important for us to discuss these things because it is imperative that we add context to this. And we talk about, well, what's the impact of these, these decisions going forward if they happen? And it's important for us to have those conversations surrounding like, yeah, this probably might not even happen. We actually don't really know the extent to which this is actually still part of their plans. We don't really know. I mean, look, overall, I think one of the pieces, one of the conversations that came out of this was a lot of people talking about the the cost of running games and the fact that it's becoming too expensive to create a lot of these AAA games. They're taking a very, very long time to uh, to make. I've actually been saying this for years on Camp Koji, where I've been talking about that the future of video game development is definitely smaller games at a much more reasonable price. And I think I think we are reaching that moment where we're going to see more companies experiment with that. And you even saw it here with with these discussions in Insomniac. There's you know this talk about this Venom game coming out for forty nine ninety nine. This conversation about what if we took Spider Man three and we separated it. So instead of having, you know, Spider-Man and Spider-Man Miles Morales or Spider-Man 2 and Venom, we're actually just doing Spider-Man 3 and we're, we're, we're making sure we're preparing the consumer and, 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 and giving them all their information to let them know that these are two still very full-fledged experiences, but we're selling it to you for 50 because we're going to put less in there, but it's going to be a better experience it's going to be a better game uh, and uh, it's more manageable for Insomniac because each of those parts would theoretically uh, take less time to release. And I think PlayStation could spin it and say like, this is how, this is the decision we made in order to get you Spider-Man 3 even faster. We decided to split the game in half, but don't worry, each of these halves is still a full-fledged experience. Um. Same thing, like I said, with Venom being $50. We saw Ubisoft experiment with that a bit with Assassin's Creed, which did really well, right? At that price point, people knew that it was a smaller game. And I think that this is something that consumers and it's almost like consumers have been asking for it. I think now publishers feel like they're almost like forced to have that conversation internally because this is starting to balloon and it is getting out of hand, when we look at something like Spider-Man 2, there were a lot of conversations with people online which were saying, how? How is this possible that the game, this game costs $300 million to make? And, in, and even if you had all these developers and experienced media like Jason Schreier try their best to break down the math, it still worked down to like, how? I, I still don't get it. I still don't understand. Especially when you think about the length of the game and, and knowing that Spider-Man 2 didn't, you know, was not really a lengthy campaign. Um, it just has really shown that it's kind of gotten out of hand. And obviously a big piece of Spider-Man 2 is that royalty that they have to pay to uh, Marvel. And then also you have to talk about marketing, which is a budget that's not going to ever get smaller. It's only going to get bigger because you're competing with so much nowadays. Um, yeah, I, I think that 
it's going to be interesting to see not only just Insomniac's future, but PlayStation's future. I think that there were kind of a lot of positives to walk away from uh, with this hack. It, it was really what I would call the silver lining, which is that Insomniac has, I guess, one silver lining is they have nothing to be ashamed of for Wolverine. It's looking exactly how I thought it was going to look. Um, I, I, I respect the direction that they're going. I think they're going a direction that I think a lot of us felt that they were going to go. And I think that that property is in good hands, but it's also just really interesting because now PlayStation is almost putting themselves in the same position that they did with Spider-Man. So if you remember when, when they first got the Spider-Man license, Spider-Man was going through a refresh as a character. We had not gotten the, uh, Tom Holland version just yet that was still being finalized there were talks about him being added in Civil War and obviously that version of Spider-Man has really breathed a lot of fresh air into the character after what happened with Amazing Spider-Man which was cool I, I like those two films but the popularity of, of the character definitely suffered around that time and there's no doubt that involving that character in the Avengers and all these other films has done a great thing to boost Spider-Man as a character. And he's now more popular than ever. And, you know, PlayStation was there to capitalize with a video game, a really, really good video game. And it would seem that they're putting themselves in a position to do that once again, right? We're getting Wolverine one. We're going to see Wolverine again in Deadpool three. And we know for a fact that it is probably going to be a, a closer version to Wolverine that people are, are used to in the comics. I think that Ryan Reynolds and his team has done a, a great job of handling Deadpool, and I think they're going to do the same with Wolverine. We've already seen the classic suit being used. But then we also know that Marvel has plans for the X-Men. And you know, very recently, they finally started to tiptoe into that territory. And now we're at the point that when we do see uh, this this Wolverine game came, come out, whenever it is, 2026, whatever that year may be, they are, are in a position to capitalize because that's probably around the time that we might start to see this new version of X-Men and new actors playing Wolverine and all Jean Grey and all these other characters that we haven't seen for a while. And that's a intellectual property in a franchise that has suffered as time has gone on. I love the first two X-Men films and some of the things in between, but let's be honest, as, as, as time went on, Apocalypse and all those other garbage, the X-Men films have, have just been nothing but bottom of the barrel trash. So it's just interesting to see Sony now putting themselves into this position once again to capitalize on the popularity of a Marvel property at its peak. Uh, it's really, really cool to see. Uh, it's also interesting to see now that X-Men has Blade and we see how big that royalty is. I can't, um, you know, they're probably, not even probably, Xbox is, is definitely paying Marvel more in order to have Blade. They're probably paying them a bigger or similar royalty. Uh, the math is a little bit different probably because Blade is definitely nowhere near the popularity of Spider-Man or Wolverine. He is a popular character, but not nearly as popular. But now they're also in a good position because Blade is something that's being planned. It's in limbo right now. Um, so yeah, I think overall, you know, Marvel is 
put themselves in a crazy position because there's so many games now, right? We, we know that Iron Man is coming out. Black Panther, the Black Panther and Captain America game are being worked on. And now we have Blade, Wolverine, and there's rumors about you know X-Men, which once again are not concrete plans. Um, yeah, I think that's that's really the 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 takeaway of of uh, of everything here. No hot releases for the week, and just one wrap it up, which was Microsoft has confirmed that Bobby Kotick will leave Activision on December twenty. Ninth, the biggest of all internal shuffles was Thomas Tipple, vice chairman of Activision Blizzard, Rob Kostich, president of Activision Publishing, Mike Yabara, president of Blizzard, and I hope I'm probably going to butcher this. I'm sorry. Joel Dolph Somastad, who's the president of King, will all now report to Matt Booty, president of Game Content and Studios. The leadership teams for Activision Publishing, Blizzard, and King will remain in place with no changes to the structure of how the studio and business units are Run. This is definitely like good news, bad news. I feel like the good news is I like that the all these studios are now sort of being brought a lot closer to Xbox Game Studios. I've said this before, where I want to see more synergy between these these uh, different studios because there's just so many now under Xbox. I think this is a smart thing to do in terms of just restructuring a lot more extra work now for Mr. Booty. And then the bad news, of course, is Bobby Kotick because a lot of people are kind of cheering this on. They're like, oh, finally, ding dong, the witch is dead. Uh, Bobby Kotick leaves on December 29th. But I, I, I don't know. I just sort of look at this like I don't feel like there's anything for us to cheer for. This man is going to walk away with probably like a $200 million bonus or something insane. He still has his golden parachute. He probably still owns a lot of stocks. Um, you know, obviously, you know, he made off like a bandit when it came to all of this and throughout everything that happened under his watch while he was at Activision Blizzard, there really is no uh, punishment for him, right? <laughs> you know, there's no restitution. It's just like, I, I don't know. I, I just don't feel like there's really much to cheer about here. Shout out to the week. Shout out to Free Radical. It was closed down after another round of cuts by Embracer Group, unfortunately. Shout out to PlayStation, who has now sold over 50 million PS5s. There are some reports saying that they're outselling the Xbox Series 3 to 1 by now, which sounds kind of accurate, even if I don't have raw numbers in front of me. And then final, final shout out, unfortunately, goes to James McCaffrey, who many may know as the voice of Max Payne, who sadly passed away last week. Most recently, he was the voice of Alex Casey in Alan Wake 2. This one to me really, really hurt. James McCaffrey, you know, Max Payne is one of my favorite video game characters of all time. And I think back when I think about that game, which I really have been wanting to replay. Now I feel like more encouraged to replay it now. I think that that is one of the best voice performances of all time. Because when you think about, especially Max Payne 1 and 2, his voice was really what carried that character because there, you know, there really were no cutscenes. A lot of it was comic book panels, and really the story was told through that voice. And Max Payne is one of those few characters that it's like I feel like the character doesn't work without the voice, and 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 vice versa. They're really really tied together. So you know, may that may he rest in peace. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Camp Koji for future updates. Once again, I'm Joel, and I'll see you all next week.